Welcome to Lift and Love Conversations, where we are building a supportive culture around LGBTQ families in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I'm Allison Dayton from Lift and Love, and I will show you how to lean into your spiritual discomfort to deepen and grow your testimony of Jesus Christ. And I am Jenny Hunter of Jenny Hunter Coaching. I will help you identify obstacles that could get in the way of sustaining healthy relationships and realizing the blessings of being an LGBTQ family. Each week, we will bring you lessons we've learned through our own lives, the experiences of families we've worked with, and conversations with amazing experts. All right. Hello, ladies. We are so excited about today's podcast. We had the most amazing conversation. We have John Gustav Rathau, um, who we could have spoken to. We could have talked to him for hours. So hours. this is going to be part one. Yeah. Because- and I, like Allison thought, like I had the most spiritual experience talking to him because um, his story, you will, if you do not walk away from listening to this, th- realizing how much the savior loves this man and how he's so much in his story and you almost get another glimpse of the savior when you hear his story, like you feel closer to the savior through his story. And it was just, it was just such a gift for me to talk to him. So today we have John Gustav Rothal who served a mission, uh, followed faithfully all the things uh, that he was supposed to do. And because he was gay, felt he needed to leave the church only to feel prompted to come back later with his husband. Mm-hmm. And although they are not, uh, he's not a rebaptized member of the church, he is active and he's active in the ministry of gathering our LGBTQ people. And how he tells the story of the Lord calling him back. You don't want to miss it. It, it will change your life listening to this. And it will change the way you see uh, members and non-members in the Lord's eyes. And and the ministry of someone quite unexpected. Right. And like, to me, it was like, oh, this is the gathering. This is what the Lord, like, I think we have this vision of what the gathering is. And this broadened my vision of what the Lord's doing. So it's just, it's so good. Like part one, because we will need to talk to him again. Yes. So right. Enjoy. And these moms and like all are like, trying to keep their kids in church, but also at peace if they leave the church, but also like, but if they stay the church in the church, what does it look like? Right. And that's what Allison, like, like we've, we've done a lot of podcasts with different scenarios, but we've never done a story where somebody is married in a gay relationship and, and and still attending church. And I said, if we, they can't see what that looks like, then they can't help their create that space in their area of the vineyard for their children. And that, and so then so interesting, like your next, that next meeting you had, yeah. was the Lord the like brought your name to us. Yeah. So yeah, there's these amazing things happening. And then you have like this crash of, <laughs> I don't know about that's, you. John, that's what I'm finding. Yeah. yeah, that's what I'm finding. I'm, I'm finding that um, when you pray for something and, you know, cause I don't, I don't see how things are always going to work. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I started to pray for missionary opportunities. And the mm. next thing I know, our ward missionaries are calling me and saying, we've got this gender non-binary person who has these questions and 
we want her to talk to you, or we want them to talk to you. Mm. And, um, and we've, I've been having this really amazing conversation with this individual who feels drawn to the church, but is not, you know, quite sure how this works. And, you know, fortunately it's. So where did you and, grow up? Um, I grew up in the Rochester, New York area. Okay. Um, we moved to Rochester when I was about four years old. And uh, then we only lived in the city of Rochester for a couple of years. And then we moved to Greece, New York, which was a suburb. And then, um, and then eventually we moved to Pittsford, New York. Um, but it's, it's all in the Rochester area. And, and I grew up there and, um, then that was where I was when I went on my mission. And then, uh, I think when I was in my June sophomore year at BYU, my parents moved to Massachusetts. And so I spent some summers there while I was in school and finishing grad school and then, you know, um, ended up here in Minnesota, but, you know, pretty much grew up in the upstate New, New York area. And that was, that was significant because of church history yeah. there. And so we spent, uh, you know, every summer we went to the Hillcomore pageant, like, you know, every weekend <laughs> we'd, oh. we'd go and bring friends and family with us and, um, you know, spent a lot of time at the Joseph Smith farm and at the church historical sites there and, and spent, you know, spent a lot of time in the sacred grove and, you know, those were all just really important places to me. And it, it, so the restoration of the gospel was very real for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. That imprint and put on you, I'm sure visiting and, and, you know, I've been the sacred grove once, but you can't deny that spirit when you walk in that yeah. grove. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. And at the Hill Camorra. Yeah. Um, yeah. So John, so. tell me this, did you feel an intense disconnect because of your sexuality back there from the church? <sighs> Not until really, it, it was after the, after my mission. Mm -hmm. um, and basically what happened is I, you know, from the time I was about 14 years old on, um, I think it was around then I was like between the age of 14 and 16, I read, um, Spencer W. Kimball's Miracle of Forgiveness. Oh, okay. And and that was my roadmap for dealing with being gay. Yeah. Like I thought, okay, if I'm just faithful enough, if I work hard enough at this, if I, you know, and and for and it was like my understanding from what President Kimball said, or Elder Kimball at the time that he wrote that. Um, but he was president when I was that age. Mm -hmm. Um you know, what I understood was if you're, it, it all just hinged on your faithfulness. Right. Right. Yeah. And so, so I was super faithful and, and I sort of had it in my mind that the Lord would take this away from me by the time I needed to go on a mission. 
And when that didn't happen, that was a little bit of a crisis for me. Mm. And um, I, you know, when I was my first night in the mission field and I was aware that I was very attracted to my companion there. And I, that literally my first night in the field after he went to sleep, I got down on my knees and I was just weeping. And I said, Lord, I, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know how I can represent Jesus Christ and have these feelings. And I had a really powerful spiritual experience. And I, I felt the spirit very strongly. And I felt the Lord saying, I, um, I accept your offering and you can serve me. You can serve, you, you can, you can serve me as a missionary. And, um, and so I thought, okay, well, if the Lord thinks I can do this, then, then I will. And so I just kind of put that on the back burner and then I thought, okay, so I didn't need <laughs> to deal, you know, I didn't need to overcome that in order to serve a mission. But then I thought, like, after I got back, I thought, you know, now I'm supposed to get married and go to the temple and start to have children. And like, if I, that's when it, that's when I really need this to be gone. And when it, when that didn't happen, that was a big crisis for me. And then, and, and my, assumption and my knee-jerk reaction at that point was it's because I haven't been faithful. Um, That's oh, yeah. How was your mental health at that point then? It was because, terrible. It was yeah. terrible. I basically at the end of my junior year at BYU, I had a, a suicide plan hmm. and um, I kind of consider it, you know, the Lord only due to nothing but the intervention of the Lord that I didn't carry out that plan. Well, thank um, goodness. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I then, think, then I did leave the church at that point. Did you? Um, right. Yeah. For your safety. Which is good that you understood yeah. that. So and it's we, interesting, as you were saying that I was just struck by how that now I need to get married and right. how much that pushes against your natural being. That it idea was, and yeah. like, I haven't ever heard anybody phrase it that way. And I think, you know, it's, it's a really, that's a kind of a sickening feeling. There, there was a, there was a woman I dated in at BYU. Well, there were actually a couple, there were a lot of like group dating situations uh, that I went on, but there was, there was, there was really only one woman that I thought, well, if I was going to marry somebody, this is the person that I could marry. Uh -huh. And, um, but this was just a situation, you know, it was just so clear to me that sexuality with this person was just not within my realm of possibility. It just, that was just so clear to me, um, that I just, you know, I was like, okay, and I, I, I can't do this. And um how did your family react when you left the church at that point well they they were totally freaked out because um you know i there's like super faithful return missionary 
son. I'd served as a branch president when I was in, in the mission field. And, yeah. um, and, you know, I had always just been super diligent in every calling and in seminary. And, you know, I mean, I had gone on missionary splits from the time I was 16 years old on like weekly, I'd go out with the missionaries and I, yeah. like, I took all of that so seriously and I had such a strong testimony and, you know, and for me to just go suddenly from, cause they had no idea what was going on for me. Mm-hmm. And, and for me to just suddenly go from that to I'm, I'm resigning from the church. Oh, they, okay. they literally thought I was like possessed by an evil spirit or something. <laughs> they didn't know about your sexuality at all at that point. They had no idea. And I, well, when I wrote my letter to the bishop resigning from the church, um, I wrote my parents a letter simultaneously and said, I'm, 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 in my words at the time, I'm homosexual and I'm leaving the church. Hmm. And um, that word was much more common back in the day. That was, yeah. I mean, but you know, it's not like Flander sort of, you know, it's not like I, I didn't have a single gay friend, right? I had never, to my knowledge, I had never met a gay person. I had never, you know, I the only reading that I'd ever done about on this subject was, you know, miracle of forgiveness, mm. and and you know the only thing I knew about it was what you know Elder Packer had preached in that horrible like uh, priesthood meeting talk that he gave, um, where he basically encouraged violence against gay people. Mm-hmm. Um, so. I mean, that was literally all I knew. And, and that was the only vocabulary I had to, to talk about it. But I, I'll tell you something. I mean, I, and this may or may not be worth sharing, but because I, I think it's very unusual. I, I haven't met too many people who've had an experience like this, but I... I wouldn't have left the church if I didn't have a very strong um, prompting from the Lord to do that. And, um, you know, it, it was very clear to me and it, and, and it was shocking to me. Like I, I felt this prompting very strong, very clear. And I thought this can't possibly be right. Like, I, I must be misunderstanding or something must be wrong here. And because the Lord couldn't possibly be telling me to leave the church. And I fasted and prayed about it for three days. Hmm. You kind of and, probably felt like Nephi did when he won't tell him to go Laban. <laughs> Are you sure I'm supposed to kill this guy? <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. Yeah. And, and after I had fasted and prayed about it, I, um, you know, I prayed, did sort of did a prayer to close my fast, and I I had a visionary experience. Wow! And um, after that, then I was like, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do, and I so I and that was when I wrote the letter to my family, 
and wrote a letter to I like literally I came out of that prayer and I was like, okay, I know what to do. I wrote the letters to my bishop and my parents and I sent them and they freaked out. My parents just completely freaked out and they and my dad was like furious about the homosexual thing and and I basically just kind of I I backed away from that. I I I said to dad I'm that's just something I was thinking, but I'm not really. <laughs> oh, wow. That was the, yeah, you know, and then eventually I came out to them again about three years later. Um, but uh, when you had a little more strength. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I think it's interesting. This to me, this, your whole story tells me how much the Lord knows you yeah. because it's not like you left the gospel because you didn't love the gospel. Like if there had been a place you would have never left. Right. And in fact, it was killing you to leave, right? Yeah, it was killing you to stay really and killing was. you to leave. And the Lord knew, like knows you and knows your faith and knows like everything about you. And that's why he gave you that gift. It just tells you how much the Lord cares about you as a person and knew what you needed. Right? It's a beautiful story. Yeah. Yeah, well, you've, love- in fact, you've used the words that the Lord almost exactly used with, with me because he said to me, I know you from your inmost being. Like those, those were the specific words. words. Those were the specific words that the Lord said to me. And I, I, I've always like wondered about that. I I mean, I, 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 I think he was saying, I know your heart, but as I thought about those words, your inmost being like in recent years, as after I came back and as I've been, you know, in a renewed relationship with God and, and active in the church. Um, you know, and I've thought about those words that the Lord used with me and, and I realized in most being, I think what he's saying is in your, in the core, like you as an intelligence, before I even like hedge was a spirit child, before I, before you had a physical body, this is who you were. Mm, um, yep. Cause I, I know that, part of you that that and I think that's what the Lord meant when he said I know you from your inmost being is that this is just this is such a core eternal piece of who I am so Um, it's so beautiful you know John um as we talk to different mothers because that's who our our main focus is 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 helping moms um helping moms prepared to raise LGBTQ children. And it's interesting how many of them have very spiritual experiences, even from really when their children are really young, but the same that happened to you, they they're such, they're a little, they're less uh, powerful. And so they have a hard time attributing them to the spirit. But when you say to them, like, could that have been the spirit? Like, Mm at your child's birth or when they were four, yeah. they're like, yeah, it, it felt like that. And once you can identify and like own that in that Nephi, you know, killing Laban moment, like how could this be? Mm-hmm. Right. Then you really know you've got a guide with you. Yeah. yeah. My mom had a spiritual experience about this too. When I came out to them finally, really, what definitively. 
I can't wait to hear what she. What well, happened. you know, it, it's interesting. I so at that point, I was had I was early in my grad school, uh, schooling at at the University of Minnesota, and I decided that. I couldn't come out to my parents over the phone and coming out to them during a family holiday, like at Christmas or Thanksgiving was a terrible idea. They're so practical. (laughs) (laughs) So loving, so thinking about them so much. And so I thought I'm going to just have to, and I I can't do it by letter. Like we're going to, I have to talk to them in person. And so I I said, I'm going to have to make a special trip to go out there. So, so I flew out there around Easter and um and told them came out to them and we spent a lot of time talking about it and you know by that time i i think the pump had been primed by my letter letter <laughs> yeah cuz they were sort of let, you know they it, it wasn't going to be a complete like 100% shock to them at that point Right. Um, and, and this was 1989. Yeah. Okay. And, and my dad had had some more time to think things through and calm down a little bit. <laughs> my dad, you know, he, he was sort of like, um, at one point we had a conversation about, you know, how I came out to him and, and he just expressed that, you know, he, he realized that he could have said some things to me that he would have regretted for the rest of his life. And he Mm. was grateful that he hadn't done that. But so we met and so, but one, one of their first things they said to me was they said, we just, we feel really terrible that you were never able to confide in us when you were going through the worst of this and when you were suicidal. Yeah. A lot of parents feel that way. You know, you feel like you've let your child down. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So we, we talked and, and they, they did a lot of listening. And I said, you know, I suggested some things that they could read and they did that. And like more, they like, you know, they were kind of voracious to find anything that they could on the subject and read it. And they were pioneers at the time. There was, I'm sure there was nobody they could even go talk to about this who had another child who was gay or, that's true. That's true. At that time, they, you yeah. know, as far as they knew, they were the only ones. And then they became resources for other people. Mm, that's beautiful. And so on. But, yeah. but anyway, that weekend, like we just had these really in-depth conversations and, and I talked about my experience and, and so we were, it was time for me to go back to Minnesota and they were driving me to the airport and my mom said she heard an, a voice speak to her audibly, said, told her that her son was, was fine. Oh. And, and she, she turned around to see who was speaking to her. And it wasn't me and it wasn't my dad. <laughs> and, um, and then she realized it was the spirit. Oh, and amazing. And she, at that point, she just, she felt so peaceful about it and so good about it. And that was for her, that was the end of her questioning about it. She knew that 
I was in the Lord's hands and I was okay. And it took my dad, you know, a couple more years of sort of wrestling and studying the scriptures and just doing a lot of reading and trying to figure all of this stuff out. And, you know, eventually my dad came to a point where he, he called me one night. It was pretty late at night and he called me and he, he wanted to read a scripture with me. And it was Matthew chapter 19, verse 12. And it's, it's the verse where Jesus Christ says, you know, there are some who are born eunuchs from their mother's womb and some who are made eunuchs by men and some who become eunuchs for the kingdom of God. And he said, when he says, when Jesus said there are some who are born eunuchs from their mother's womb, do you think that he was talking about gay people? And I was actually familiar with that verse at that point, and that that was my take on it as well. Mm-hmm. And since then, I've learned there's been a lot of scholarship done on that. And one of the things we know now about New Testament Greek and about sort of language that was used uh, to talk about sexual difference in the ancient world and and the term eunuch was frequently used as a synonym for people who basically never had sex with women. Not, not that they uh, could For a number of reasons, right? Right. But for if, if for any reason, even if you were physically intact, yeah. and that it, if you were one of those people who never had sex with women, that was, you know, they used that term to describe you. And so... The sexual so minority. Je- right. So Jesus would have been very clearly understood to be saying there's some people who are just born this way who are yeah. who just don't uh the, from their mother's womb this is how they are and that was very you know that was comforting to my dad and he said well he said so the lord knows about you and he said what we know from studying church history is that the Lord has typically given us revelation on a subject when we bring a question to him. Mm-hmm. And he said, I think that we just haven't brought this question to the, as a church. We haven't brought this question to the Lord. I like how your dad thinks. Yep. Yeah. Right. And that, so obviously they came to peace with it and like you they were did. part of their life and they were, you were, and they were part of your life. So yeah. how was like your relationship? Because they stayed in the church, right? They, they did. Uh, yeah. and, and my, my mom passed away in 2015. Oh, um, and, you know, was faithful right to the end. And my dad is active in the church and has a testimony and, and it's a blessing. Um, and they're in Springville. They, they, they're in Springville. Springville. Yeah. So how was your relationship with the church during this period where you had left it? Yeah, so um, it it was pretty awful, um, you know. I, I mean, I I gradually, um, you know, coming out was a spiritual process for me, and and you know, I had had this personal revelation saying, "This is who you are. I know you. You're you're okay. I, you know, you 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 belong to me." Um. And it took me a few more years to sort of work out all of the ramifications of that. And when I did, I was just sort of like, you know, the church almost killed me. I mean, that was, you know, that was my feeling. And, and so I was really angry about that. 
and and um there was definitely trauma you know and and i had some symptoms of ptsd uh mm -hmm. from from the trauma that i experienced um as a result of you know being in the church and almost killing myself over being gay yeah and so so there was a lot of anger there and um and my reaction was basically to just stay as far away from anything having to do with the church as possible um you know we <laughs> i if you know i loved my parents and if my parents asked me to do something i would do it and you know there there was this one i actually have a picture <laughs> that was taken at the time that this happened they they invited me and Euron to go with them to church. We were visiting them in Massachusetts. And so we were like, okay. Yeah. We'll go. What year was this? Um, oh gosh. Had to be it was early 90s. Had to okay. be like early 90s, like I don't know, maybe 92, 93, something like but not that. Not that far from when you had left. So you were still deep in it. Right, right. <laughs> and so I was like, well, I, I, I think I can go there with my husband. So <clears throat> so we go to church. And we're sitting there next to my parents and, you know, Euron and I were active in a church. We, we were, you know, we, we went to a UCC congregation and we hold hands in church. And so we, you know, went to church with my parents and we held hands and, and it's not like we were like flaunting it or, you know, holding it right. up. So, you know, we're, it's like, our hands are in between us and we're, you know, I mean, you'd have to like peek over the pew or something. I don't know, to know that we were even holding hands, right? but somebody saw us and it created this big ruckus in the next ward council meeting. Oh, wow. And it was so humiliating to my parents that this was the reaction that, um, you know, we were never invited <laughs> to go to church with them again. Oh, <laughs> Um, Not a win that day for anybody. Well, except for <laughs> the bishop's wife, who was really, when she heard about this, she was like, oh, I, I wish I could have been there. You know, I wish I could have been more support. So, so oh, well. you know, there, and this was a conversation that I had with her many, many years later, but... Hmm. Um, no. yeah, it was kind of a, it was a sad situation. It was sad for my parents. It was, um, you know, but so I was, it's a great message though. far away from the church for most of that time. For sure. I mean, with that type of reaction, you don't feel safe there. Right. But I felt lucky to have parents who, yes, you know, were unconditional in their support for me and for my husband. And so I thought, um, you know, and John, how did, because we talked a lot about um, this with parents, where like sometimes your child is might walk away or will walk away usually, but focus on your relation, his relationship or her relationship with Christ. And just clearly you didn't lose that relationship. You were still going to church. How did you maintain that and keep that connection? Well, uh, that's, that's a really good question. It's an interesting question. Um, I continued to pray and study the scriptures for quite a few years after I left the, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Mm -hmm. And then I, 
um, I was active in more sort of evangelically leaning sort of conservative um, Lutheran congregations. And, um, and then when I came out publicly, they were not a safe place either right. to be out. Sure. And at the time there was a big brouhaha happening because there were some Lutheran congregations in San Francisco who that had ordained um, two gay men and a lesbian. And those congregations were ultimately expelled from the denomination for doing that. And there was a big fight over that. And, and that was, it was so traumatic to watch that battle happening within the denomination that I was active in that I basically just kind of became inactive. Mm -hmm. And then we, then the church that you're on and I joined was a more sort of liberal, it was United Church of Christ, you know, much more liberal in terms of their views of, they had openly gay and lesbian ordained ministers and um, the UCC was one of the first denominations to publicly support same-sex marriage and that began to perform same-sex marriages in UCC congregations. And um, so that was really cool. But, uh, you know, I, during that time, I was really starting to process some of the trauma from, from, you know, my coming out years, early coming out years. And one of the things that I really struggled with was how did God let me suffer this way? Like, sure. why did God allow this to happen to me where I like literally almost lost my life? Yeah. And, um, and, and this event was sort of triggered for me when I, I, my parents, finally moved to Utah after 2000. And um, I went to a, to visit a friend at BYU. And I saw the apartment building where I had like concocted my plan to, to mm. kill myself. And I just like, I had to pull over the side of the road and I was weeping and my husband was like, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's going on? And then I told yeah. him the story and and then I was just like, why did God let this happen to me? And so I was really angry. Sure. And um, <laughs> uh, so, you know, that was, that was like this real moment of crisis in my relationship with God. Yeah. Um, and so there were a couple of years there, I think, where I was just really kind of questioning, like, do I even really believe in God or do I believe in the goodness of God? Um, and, and so I, I lost some of my, my spiritual habits of prayer and, and scripture study and, um, sure. you know, but I, I it was, uh, you know, and we had also been singing in a gospel choir, which was like a really important thing for us as well. Um, yeah. And I think around that time, we kind of stopped being active in the gospel choir. And so, you know, so I was kind of in this empty space and considering agnosticism and considering atheism. And, and that 
was when the Lord chose to speak to me. Really? In this really clear, like, couldn't ignore it, couldn't deny it kind of way. Mm. And that, that was, that was when I basically came back to the church in 2005. How did you reconcile the anger? Um, well, uh, I, you know, I had this moment where, um, I had felt a prompting to, to read the book of Mormon. And so this was like the first time that I had even, I didn't even, you know, I didn't even know if we had a book of Mormon in the house at that point. And then I found one that had been given to me as a joke. Wow. Friends who found one at a garage sale and they're like, Oh, John was a Mormon. Like, let's give this to him. (laughs) They thought it was, you know, funny, tremendously funny. Right. Yeah. And it was like this old, you know, it was like, you know, printed in the 1950s or something like that. It was like literally falling apart. Mm. And, and so I, I was going to start to read it and I, um, felt the spirit and I thought I need to pray before I start to read this. And I, I knelt by my bed in secret. I didn't want my husband to know that I was (laughs) praying and, um, he was down watching TV <laughs> and uh, I started to pray and I felt this just perfect love from God and complete forgiveness. And, uh, and I just said, God, I'm so sorry. I didn't understand your plan for me and so sorry. And um, I just felt perfect forgiveness, you know, and, and love. And then at that point I was like, how can I be angry at God? Wow. Um, You know, this was, this was part of his plan for me and, and I looked back and I thought everything that happened in those years that I was away from the church, it was part of his plan for, for preparing me and teaching me. And, and so I, love I just, that. yeah. What, I mean, what you must have gleaned from other religions and other ways oh. of being in relationship with Jesus Christ is invaluable. Oh. It it was invaluable, and I I mean I took it very seriously. You know my yeah. my PhD uh, in American history focused on the history of American religion, mm. and so so I had studied many different churches and religions, and uh, uh, academically like took that study very seriously, and had also experienced like you know. Sp- spent time in a Roman Catholic monastery and, uh, and, and, and studying there and bought like, you know, uh, the, um, uh, you know, St. Thomas Aquinas's, Mm -hmm. uh, writings and, and, um, you know, studied Protestant 
theology and from Martin Luther all the way up to Paul Tillich and, and, um, you know, had attended churches at Baptist churches and Catholic and, and Pentecostal and, and, um, you know, a number of Presbyterian, <laughs> Episcopalian, Lutheran. Uh, so I, you know, I kind of experienced the whole, whole gamut of, you know, different churches and different religious philosophies and, and beliefs. And, and all of that was incredibly valuable for me, you know, coming back and um, having had that experience um you know as as my testimony was renewed and as i was beginning to study our church again um i had this like incredible context to you know understand our our history our theology our scripture and just um you know discovered a depth in it that i had never even realized was there mm-hmm. when i had had nothing but the church and so I, I have been known to say that it, it might be a really good exercise for members of our church to sort of take a vacation for a year or two and explore other religions because you'll come back with such, you know, so much stronger of a testimony of our church if you've had that opportunity to do that. And I did, and 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 I think it was a blessing that the Lord gave me. Yeah, clearly He was shaping you, and um, you were learning more about God and all these religions. I mean, Jenny and I yeah. talk with moms a lot about this. The the path that our children take isn't necessarily like even the path that we all take. It's not like we're all trying to get to a certain road and travel down that road together. Right. right. The paths right. differ. Depending on that, that's our absolutely need. right. Yeah, that's absolutely like, right. Yeah, and, and there, I love. <clears throat> yeah, I go love. Ahead. You know, we look at the we talk about the covenant path a lot, and Elaine Dalton, Sister Dalton, started that talk. She was talking about wandering, you know, hiking in the wilderness, mm-hmm. and the wilderness has many different paths that we can follow, and um, staying on that particular path was her message, and and. We talk about that a lot because um, our children necessarily need to leave their traditional, you know, the road that a lot of people are traveling down. Well, one of the, you know, one of the um, texts in the Book of Mormon that was so meaningful to me after I came back was, and and I thought it was very interesting, Jenny, that you you alluded to this in your opening prayer. Uh, because that that parable of the vineyard in Jacob chapter five, what I realized is that I had been one of the branches of the house of Israel that had been taken off and transplanted onto mm-hmm. a wild tree and had drawn strength from those roots, those mm-hmm. wild roots. And then when when the time was ripe, I was transplanted back. Oh. Um, and and that, you know, I, I remember reading that and just, you know, feeling the spirit saying to me, this is your story. Like, this is, this is what the Lord has done for you. Yeah. Ah, oh, I love that you shared that because seeing that in real life, I mean, and helps us understand that parable more, right. And giving us not having fear with each one of us, our journey to Christ and that God yeah. is 
God was clearly in your story the whole time, right. even though you weren't sitting in the LDS pew, right? Like it wasn't that God was not part of your story. And, and I mean, I could rage and be angry and, yeah. and, and he's okay. He could handle the anger. He handled the anger, right? He understood the anger. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, 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 do, and doing that, I think makes us stronger. Yeah. But yeah. you are, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. Oh, no. I was just like, you are such a pioneer. I mean, clearly in all of this, yeah. because what, what happened to make you come back and try to come back to the church? Yeah. So it was 2005 and, um, and I had reconnected with a former professor of mine from BYU, uh, D. Michael Quinn, mm. whom you may know of. Sure. Uh, he had kind of been my mentor at BYU. Um, I, I credit him with saving my testimony mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, he he was kind of a model for me in terms of because, you know, everybody nowadays is talking about like faith crisis and church history and et cetera, et cetera. And and he he was the one who kind of gave me a framework for looking at church history in a way that was both more complex and more true to the historical record, but also that, you know, he was clear to me that there's nothing in church history that, that will contradict your testimony ultimately. Um, So he was kind of a mentor to me in that way. And he kind of helped me through my own sort of faith crisis as I was learning things about church history that surprised me or that, that I hadn't been, you know, taught to account for in, in seminary. Right. Michael, Michael was such a great, um, help to me in that. And, and so at at any point, at at any rate, we had reconnected, you know, sometime after I had left the church and, you know, we sort of corresponded, um, on and off. And, and in 2005, I found out that he was going to be at the Sunstone Symposium at the same time that I was going to be visiting my parents. Hmm. And so I said, well, let's meet. Um, and and uh, he said, well, come meet me at Sunstone. And <clears throat> I was like, okay. So I, I bought like a ticket for <laughs> like three sessions <laughs> at Sunstone. Um, and and I was like sitting in one of these sessions and it literally had nothing to do with what was happening in the session. But while I was sitting there, um, I just felt the spirit so strongly and, and it said, it's time for you to come back. Mm. And... Uh, was that comforting or did that scare you? It was very distressing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's very distressing. What? Well, but it, I mean, it, it's, it's like one of the most peculiar spiritual experiences that I've ever had because as in every encounter that I've had with the spirit that was meaningful you know, there was, there was this tremendous sense of peace and love 
that was just undeniable. It's how you know the spirit's there. Right. Yep, that fruit. Yeah. So so I'm feeling this incredible sense of of love and peace, and it's so sweet and so good. You know, it's just the way Lehi describes it in his dream, like that fruit from the tree is just so sweet and delicious and good. And that's what I was experiencing. And at the same time, I was pissed off. Yeah. I was angry. And I was like, what the heck? You know, like I've been with my husband for 13 years at this point. You know, I've been away from the church for 19 years. Mm -hmm. And at this point, I was just like pretty much convinced that the church couldn't possibly be true. And, and I was just like, what the heck are you telling me to do? Like, how do you even think this is supposed to work for me at all in in any way, shape or form? And I thought, even if I do what you're telling me to do, they don't want me. They don't want anything to do with me. Right. So it was like, So it was distress. And I was um, I was like, I don't even know how I'm supposed to do this, but I kind of knew I was supposed to. And mm-hmm. so that's where the distress comes from when you're like, what if I what if I don't do this thing that the Lord is telling me to do? And mm-hmm. you know, and but how do I even do it? And like th- this is gonna turn my life upside down. Like literally, that's you know, that was kind of what I thought. And I didn't tell anybody that I'd had this experience, you know, I, I, yeah, I then you'd have to act on it. <laughs> well, you know, there was that, but there was also, yeah. I mean, I was just kind of like, I better not tell my parents cause they're going to get their hopes up. That I'm coming <laughs> right, back. Right. There's no way I'm doing that. Right. Parents never do that. You know, you probably have any of us could identify with Joe, with Joe Smith when they're like, no, you got to start your own church. I mean, how much did he want to hear? No, it's down the street. Pastor Bob's drive, right. He's like, how am I even that supposed to do this? So much easier. So much easier. Yeah. Right. Like, oh, it's the I'm Methodists. Just, I'm assuming you know. they're the ones. <laughs> I'm assuming that you didn't get this prompting with a long list of steps and how to. Not really. No, not at all. Not, yeah. not at all. It was the just, Lord I loves breadcrumbs, right? Yeah. gives us the breadcrumbs. Right. It was just, you need to do this. And, oh, goodness. and I, I actually did just try to ignore it. Actually, that was my first reaction was just ignore it. And How like, this go? can't, this can't possibly be real. And it didn't go so well because mm. it kept coming back. Like it, it kept coming back to me and coming back. And I, I was continuing to have this argument and, and then I had this sort of like Naaman, the Syrian type moment where I was like right upstairs here, right above where we're talking right now, mm-hmm. it, it, sitting in a hammock in our sun porch mm-hmm. sort of, and, and having this argument with God. And, and the spirit said to me, did I tell you to leave your husband? No. Did I, you know, did I tell you to do anything crazy and dramatic? No. I said, come back. Mm-hmm. And and that's all I'm asking you to do. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, um, that seems exceedingly simple, but if that's all you need <laughs> me to do, I guess I can give it a try. And um, so it still took about another month after I said, okay, I'll I'll try that before I finally actually got around to doing it. 
And how did your husband feel? Because here was this church. Yeah. He couldn't have had great feelings about this church because no, it almost brought you to death, right? He didn't. Yeah. And that was, you know, he, what he's told me is that that was precisely his concern. And, and not to my credit, I was not completely upfront and honest with him initially. Um, I, I couldn't tell him that I'd had this spiritual experience. Um, and, you know, I, around when I had that experience where I kind of said, okay, Lord, I guess I'll go back. I thought, okay, I need some help to do this. And so my first reaction was to contact affirmation mm-hmm. and, and I, I wanted to find out if there was like a chapter of affirmation here where I could go for support. And, you know, it was, I, I, I called this guy, he's the president of affirmation, had a conversation with him. And I said, I need to go back to the church. And he was like, no, you don't need to do that. Oh gosh. I was like, no, actually I do need to do that. And he's like, well, no, you don't really need to. And I was like, well, I'm going to. And, and, um, he's like, uh, I was like, you know, is there a chapter of affirmation here locally? He said, no, there's not one. He said, but if you want to like start one, you can. And, I'm like, okay, I'll add that to the list too, Lord. <laughs> right. And so I was like, hmm. So these affirmation people don't seem to be very supportive of somebody who wants to go back to church. Mm-hmm. But if I become the contact for affirmation locally and my name is on a website, then if there's any other LGBTQ Latter-day Saints here in, in the area, they'll contact me. And then I'll have somebody else that I can connect with who can maybe kind of help me in this path. Mm-hmm. And so, so I said yes. And so that was my official story to my husband was I was like, okay, so I'm going to start this chapter of affirmation here. And I need to go check out <laughs> the local ward so that I can, um, you know, make a connection with the bishop and see if maybe the local ward can, you know, help us with this chapter. <laughs> um, and uh, so that's that's what I told him. And um, so uh, I kept going back to church again and again and again. And finally, he was like, why do you keep going back? Like, you've had enough time to, like, talk to the bishop and, you know, and finally I realized I just, this was a bad situation and I had to come clean with him. And so I told him, you know, and, and he was, he was pretty upset initially. And it was my fault that he was upset because I hadn't been honest with him. And, um, and then, you know, he was worried that, that if I got back into it again, that I was going to become suicidal again. And, Actually, that was like the number one like thing that like, because at that point, most of the people that I knew who and that I encountered online who were gay Mormons had left the church and were, you know, all pissed off at the church. And they were like, why are you going back? Like, and, and then they were like, you know, you're going to become suicidal again. And yeah. And I was like, no, like, 
yeah, like nobody's really supporting you in this. I mean, you really had to nobody, do this. Nobody, wow. it was, I was the only one as far as I knew for, mm-hmm. for years. And then um, in 2012, um, I, um, I met Tom Christopherson. <laughs> And at the time, he was he was in the same boat that I was in. You know, he was, he in, a was in a relationship, yeah. and he was he had been active in his ward for some time. He in Connecticut, and mm-hmm. I in Minneapolis, and so we we kind of became we we called it the ladies who lunch. <laughs> I, I shouldn't have told that on Tom, I, or maybe he'll think that's, he, you know, that was his joke, right? He called it the ladies who lunch because <laughs> we'd call each other and we'd kind of t- talk about our respective like journeys. Yeah. And, and how was your journey when you walked into that chapel? Well, like you kept coming back. So it could have <sighs> been too bad, right? Well, there's a, there's a story that is worth sharing. Um, I, uh, so I've decided to come back. haven't figured out how it's going to happen. We're visiting some friends in St. Paul and who should come and knock in, but the, the Mormon missionaries. missionaries. <laughs> and my friends are like, John, John, there's Mormon missionaries at the front door. You go talk to them. They're your people. <laughs> right. And I was like, okay. And so, <laughs> They didn't know what they were asking me to do. I go out there and I ended up talking to them for like a half an hour. On, <laughs> Those on missionaries were probably so porch. excited. <laughs> well, they were starting to be like, what the heck? You know, what's John doing? Like, why has he been out there so long? And it, we, because we had plans to go see a movie. <laughs> I was going to make everybody late, right? Yeah. And um, so I, this was the first, like I'd seen missionaries before and I'd had a chance to talk to them before and had never really shared anything significant with them. But this time I was like, okay, I'm going to tell them my story. And so I kind of told them my, my, you know, cause I, I, I think the first thing I said to them was, you know, I've, I've done what you're doing right now. I, I served my mission in France mm-hmm. and and they were like, well, what made you lose your testimony? And I said, well, I said, I, I, never, I never lost my testimony. I just, but I almost committed suicide because of my testimony. And, and then we sort of got into this, you know, so I kind of told them my story and, and uh, you know, the junior companion is just kind of listening and the senior companion is kind of wanting to argue with me. Hmm. Like he wants to argue about the Book of Mormon and, you know, a bunch of other yeah. stuff. And, and the junior companion is just kind of smiling and nodding. And, and he's just, he's actually has this just benevolent, like kind, compassionate expression on his face, like just, you know, angelic. Mm-hmm. And I felt love from him the senior companion I, I like didn't need so much because I was like I don't need somebody I don't need somebody who's half my age to like tell me what's what and trying to argue with me about this right but the junior companion is kind of like there's kindness there there's love and compassion there and I felt it and so the conversation kind of winds to a close and my friends are like peeking out the door and saying John John we got to go and and they're like well you know you should come to church and I said well, as a matter of fact, 
I've been thinking that I, I need to. And so they handed me a card that had the information I needed to find out where I was supposed to go to church, which it. was great. Mm -hmm. um, and so I put kind of took that card with me and I stuck it on the billboard at work. You know, it, I had like a bulletin one board. of those like um, bulletin board things yeah. yeah, in front of my workstation at work. And I just stuck that card on there and kept looking at it. And um, finally, you know, I found out where my ward was mm -hmm. and I found out what time the services were. And so I got up my courage because I thought for sure these people don't want me there. And like, mm -hmm. this was a scary thing for so me. So much courage. Yeah. Scary. Oh, yeah. scary. I want to be there with you that day. Like, oh, I just, <laughs> I'm nervous for you there. Right. Yeah. Right. So, so I show up. I park my bike outside the, the chapel and I say a prayer hmm. and I walk into the church and I thought, okay, I'm going to just sneak in. And they, they, you know, they, the, it would sacrament meeting was just getting started. Cause like I arrived like at nine o'clock sharp <laughs> and I snuck in and sat down on the very back row where I thought nobody would see me. And there's four missionaries sitting on the row in front of me. And one of them turns around and who should it be, but that junior companion. Oh. And he had just been transferred to my ward the preceding Wednesday. <laughs> Cause I'd encountered him over in St. Paul, right, right. on the other this side of the river. <laughs> right. So I love had, the Lord. Yes. Oh. He had just been transferred to my ward. Mm. He sees me and he immediately just like beams this huge smile and he reaches out and he grabs me by the hand and he shook my hand and he said, do you remember me? <laughs> and I said, of course I remember you. Ah. And he is just like, I'm so glad you're here. Oh. And the first thought that went through my mind was, somebody in this ward knows that I'm gay and is glad that I'm here. Oh, that's so beautiful, John. Oh, and um, <laughs> imagine, the, imagine the peace just for everyone that's listening. I just want to take a minute and just imagine the peace that's in John's heart because one person knew him and loved him. And said, I'm glad you're here. Yeah. We get the question all the and time. What can, I do? what can I do? Yeah. You can, yeah. You can know somebody and love them. And just think yeah. the Lord moving everything, right? Like I the breadcrumbs. the puzzle, the pieces that are... You meet this missionary in St. Paul, you connect with him emotionally, and the Lord moves him where exactly you right. needed him. Oh. Okay. That's exactly right. It's That's amazing. Exactly okay, right. let's talk about the mission that you're on now with uh, Emmaus Ministry. Sure. And, and, and how that's... Um, what that was, I, I we know, I know it was born. Well, let's have you just share what sure that was born out of and and what that does. What what yeah, amazing yeah. about sure. So um, so I I served as the as a leader in affirmation for about seven years. Uh -huh. um, was the vice president for a couple of years. I I served as um on a, on the board for a year or so i i served as president for a couple of years um and i 
and I finished as executive director of Affirmation. And Affirmation has, you know, basically a mission. It's very broad. It's very, um, you know, it, 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 its mission is basically just to provide support for LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, wherever they are on the spectrum of faith or, mm-hmm. or you know, wherever they are in terms of their coming out journey and so on. And, and that's, it, it's a support mission. That's, that's primarily what it is. And after, you know, when I was in affirmation, I had a personal mission, and that was to provide support for people who wanted to be active in and connected to the church. And, um, and uh, after I left as executive director, um, that was really what I wanted to focus my efforts on. And so we wanted to create a ministry that was specifically for that. And so there's two aspects of that. One is, first of all, we want to work with members and leaders of the church so that we can do better ministry, Mm. right? So that, that everybody in our wards and stakes can be like that missionary, like, like what he was for me. They can be that connection. That's somebody who says, I know who you are and I love you and I'm glad you're here. Right. So so we, we want smile and hand out. Oh. <laughs> I was thinking how much you blessed that missionary's life. I mean, you like you you were probably one of the main reasons he was sent to Minnesota, right? Like it's not that you were Certainly blessed to that ward at that right, time. but he was also changed and blessed. That's that's the beauty beauty of ministering. Like you can't be part of it without you being changed too. Sure. I, I I think so. And and what I can tell you also is that there are so many brothers and sisters in my ward and in my stake who've been ministers to me and have continued to minister to me. And I've had bishops who've been outstanding ministers and I've had just, you know, so many people who have, who have made a difference. And so, so that was our number one thing is we want to foster the best possible ministry to and with LGBTQ individuals and their families, both in our, our mission says in and adjacent to the church. So good. So whether you're, whether you're in, in the church or out of the church, we want church members to be better ministers to them and with them, right? Cause sometimes you're going to be ministering to somebody and sometimes you're going to be ministering with somebody. Love that. And sometimes you're going to be ministered to by your, right. by your LGBTQ uh, siblings. So well, if you can see in John's story, this is an up and down ride, isn't it? It's it a, can be. Yeah. It soars high. And sometimes it, 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 you know, even out of the blue, it can come kind of crashing on you. It can. And, and it's so important to, um, to know how to minister through all of those ups and downs. Yes. And, and, um, you know, th- there were two individuals <laughs> who kept a connection with me through those years um, and who were in the church. And, um, and my impression was that they were, they were so exceptional that uh, that was what caused me to believe that nobody would ever want me back there. Right. So, so if, if, when there, if there are ways that we can minister and show people that, that we love unconditionally, Mm. 
um, so that they know that that we're always there and and we love them. So that's that's really important. So so that's one aspect of our mission is to to foster the best possible ministry that we can and you know a conversation that that i want to be able to have with as many church leaders as i possibly can is to say look i've been working with the lgbtq community in the church for 15 years now and i can tell you i i i've worked with literally hundreds and hundreds of people and and i can you know I can tell you, here's the reasons why people leave and here are the reasons why people stay. Mm. And, and here are the reasons why families of LGBTQ individuals leave. And here are the reasons why families of LGBTQ individuals stay. And, and, you know, here, here are the things that people need and, and here are the things that are going to help people grow. And, and so, um, you know, so I think it's so important to have those kinds of conversations so that people can do ministering effectively and so that we can we can avoid repeating some of the trauma and some of the damage that has been done in so many situations. So that's really important. So that's one aspect of our ministry. But then the other aspect is I want to provide a support community for LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. And... Um, and one of the things that I'm aware of is the damage that occurs when we, we become split personalities where we feel like we have to either choose being LGBTQ and reject our faith, yes. or we have to choose our faith and reject being LGBTQ. And that, that bifurcation is so damaging to us. Yes. Um, yeah. And, and it's so unnecessary because the Lord accepts and loves all of who we are. Yeah. And, and the, the Lord doesn't love only the LDS part of me, right? Right. The, 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 the Lord yeah, your loves- Your innermost parts. Yeah. All my of innermost it. being and loves all of, all of who I am. And, and, and that is who I am. And, and I don't experience- that contradiction anymore. And, um, and so I, I think it's so important to, to open up a space to create spaces where, uh, LGBTQ individuals can embrace their faith. Yes. And, and, and so, um, now there's there's challenges to doing that because we get a million messages from both within the church and from outside of the church, um, and that that tell us that you can't do that and that it's right. impossible and it's and it's ridiculous and it's harmful. Yeah, uh, we get the, we get that message a lot, um, and a, and so it's it's really hard. Right. Yeah, and I like to say, well, who says? I can. <laughs> well, and that's well, the problem. It just hasn't really been done, right? That's I why want. you're the pioneer. Yeah. yeah. Parents, you know, parents get that same message. Right. It's so dangerous for your children. But and John, what I we, think is dangerous is splitting the two parts yeah. of us. Right. Well, and and, and, and think, I've seen this so many times, right? right? Because because kids will leave the church, but but the church doesn't leave them, and then they have yes. no context for navigating 
internal conflicts. I mean, it, it, I think it can be dangerous. Very, you know, it was, it was, it was the breaking of my brother that Mm -hmm. he couldn't be whole with all the parts of him. And he could never, never, he could never um, get over losing the part of him that was connected to God in the way he was connected to God. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's, we can't, that's not ministering and that's not, you know. Right. So John, how do people find you? Um, So uh, we have a website, um, EmmausLGBTQ.org. And we're going to put that in the show notes. Okay, good. Yeah. And um, we have a Facebook page. We we have a Facebook page and and I have an email address. It's it's John at EmmausLGBTQ.org. So you can reach me personally that way. Um, okay. But you can find the ministry through the website and you, you can connect to the Facebook group through the website. And um and our focus really is it, it really is on ministering. We're not like the purpose of that, the Facebook group is not for people to talk about stuff. It's, yeah. it, it's, it's really focused on like what's happening in your ward. Like, how are you, how are you making ministry happen? Okay. Um, and and so we're, we're pretty, you know, we're, we're, we're pretty strict about <laughs> what we allow people to post because we really want it to be this focus on ministering. Which is good because there, there are a lot of places to talk about the stuff. There's, there are a million places. There's a million places. And for some, they are, uh, for me, it is a, a horrible vortex. Like it's painful. uh, Social media, things go south really quickly. Yeah. so yeah. it, it's good so. to know that there's a safe place for parents who are working this out. They're trying to figure out answers. We get asked this a lot. Yeah, spun out into yeah. Uh, different controversies or people's opinions and and why you should leave yeah. the church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, clearly, we need to have another conversation with everything where you said why parents stay, why parents go. So we will do another podcast if you let us with you, because I would love to hear the specific, we get this asked all the time from like for the leaders and stuff. So it would be such a valuable resource for the state presidents, the bishops, members, like, because you are wealth of information, a resource, and the Lord has brought you back for a reason. I mean, this is clearly the reason. And so like, honestly, we could talk to you all day, like this, like the peace and the spirit you emulate, like clearly, the Lord is your friend and he's not just your advocate. He's your friend. And, um, thank you for being so vulnerable and sharing your story with, I'm just so like, it's, you can't deny it. the Lord is, just loves you and would love to hear all the details. So I, thank you for today. I feel that. like this is part one. I know. <laughs> and we will uh, definitely, we will definitely have you back. We'll have lots of questions for you. Yeah. That you can help, um, that you can help others do this. I mean, ministering, right? Yeah, that's right. that's ultimately what and, it's about. And hope. We all need hope. Yeah. That, uh, I think that's the thing that gets me through in those really hard days, is the hope. And the little message from someone. And do you want to ask um, your lift and left question? How? Oh, yes. 
John, how have you been lifted and loved through this? Um, it's so powerful to be listened to and to be heard. Oh. Yeah. So thank you for that. And you're a cute missionary who just knew exactly how to do that. And, you know, what's interesting about the missionary is that he didn't say anything really, did he? No, no, he didn't. That is some good missionary work. That was amazing missionary work. That was amazing missionary work. Well, I wish we knew who he was. (laughs) Yeah, I, I ought to look him up. John, from, thank you. From Penguich, yeah. Utah. Penguich, Utah. And he had, he had some loving parents, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I think so. Well, we love listening to you and your stories. And I, I know our parents are going to find a lot of peace hearing the beauty in your stories and um, the beauty that your parents walked long before yeah. parents knew how to walk that road. Filled so. with discomfort, but growth and ultimately love and yeah. purpose. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. All right, John, we're talking to you soon. All right, talk to All right, you soon. Bye. Thank Bye-bye. you. Thank you for joining our podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the Lift and Love podcast. And if you like what we share, we would be so grateful if you would leave us a five-star rating. For more tips and resources, follow us on Instagram and Facebook under Lift and Love Org and Jenny Hunter Coaching. You can also go to liftandlove.org for loads of information and entry into our free support groups. If you're interested in personal coaching, sign up at jennyhuntercoaching.com. The first appointment is free. But most importantly, remember, you are not alone in this journey. We are building a community of thriving and faithful LGBTQ families who are here to lift and love you.